Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. All right, guys, welcome to the Rick Shields Golf Show podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Rick Shields. I'm here with co-host Guy. This episode, 118, is a special episode, hence the Friday release. We've just interviewed one of the highest-ranked golfers in the entire world. He's currently fourth in the world. He's world number four. Well, there's two things. When we're sat in this formation, you know it's a big podcast. There's <laughs> only been, I think, uh, Bryson and now Victor, where we're sat at this for the start. But yeah, we've had on Victor, who was absolutely phenomenal. So Victor Hovland from Norway. He's, he's young, but he's so bloody switched he's seven off. years younger than me, and I felt like he was the grown-up. <laughs> he's the grown-up talking. Yeah. He's won six times, which that's an in- staggering amount of wins. He won the US Amateur back in 2019. He's played in the Masters. He won the best amateur when Tiger won the Masters back in 2019. I must admit, I didn't actually... Re- I knew he'd won the US Amateur... But I didn't realise, and I, sorry, I knew he played in the, in the Masters, but I didn't realise he played the Masters the same year that Tiger won it until actually connect. I thought it was 2018 for some reason. Imagine that. So Victor Hovland, unbelievable character. Now, this is done remotely, which we'll see. We've got a slightly new setup, which we've tried today. Fingers crossed it's all worked. This is a little bit of an apology from last episode because it didn't go perfectly, but we did our best. Um, it is remote, so his mm. audio is not perfect but just bear that in mind and there might just be a couple of times where his wi-fi slightly cut out and we lost him a tiny bit so if you see if you hear a couple of dropouts listen it's part and parcel of it but if things like this work we can do more interviews you've seen the one with bryson this one now with victor we can get some of the biggest names in golf so bear with it i think you're going to really enjoy it sit back make sure right now and i don't we don't often do this Make sure you like, follow, and subscribe to the podcast. You do not want to miss a single episode. Because I'm not being slightly big-headed, a little bit. <laughs> Can't be big-headed. This bloody podcast is just getting better and better and well, better. That, what I like about it is, we didn't even mention we were having Victor on. It was just like, normal podcast on Tuesday, Friday comes, bam, world number four on the podcast. So who's it going to be next time? going to go but maybe worse actually isn't it in world ranking it doesn't matter it'll still be good <laughs> and i slid into the dms this time to get this one a race so i've got to go sliding <laughs> so, so, so it's one all <laughs> guys enjoy sit back relax and listen to victor hovland the fourth best player in the world definitely a future major champion and definitely will become a Ryder cup legend by the way i'm not called guys anymore it's going to be what could it be for guy to guy challenge <laughs> <laughs> that's it that's it Victor Hovland, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You are now, I can't, this is crazy, fourth best player in the world. How does that feel? 
Yeah, it's it's pretty wild. Uh, I mean, I was uh, I was third two weeks ago, so I guess I should be feeling disappointed uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. now. <laughs> uh, as uh, I mean, it, it fluctuates a lot, obviously, but just the fact to or just to think about a couple of uh, months ago, a couple of years ago, and then five years ago. I mean, uh, I was so far away, and uh, now we're you know kind of here and and um, trying to win tournaments and, and uh, yeah, climb the world ranking. Well, you're doing that pretty well at the moment. I mean, is it three wins in your last six starts? Uh, it might be last seven, I think. I mean, but uh, I, I have played some, some good golf, that's for sure. It's but not, it's, it's uh, not it's bad one. at all. I mean, I don't want to take all credit for this, but last time you briefly came on the podcast, I think you just crept into ninth in the world. And uh, listen, I don't want to take yeah. all credit for it, but now you're obviously fourth and was high as third. Um, what's realistically now, start, the run just started 2022. What What is the ambition for this year? Where Where do you where can you honestly say your world ranking is going to be at the end of this year? I, I don't think too much about my world ranking, to be honest. Um, it's more about, it's a boring, boring answer, but it's more about just trying to get better every day. Um, as I said, I was number three two weeks ago, um, and that was insane. And after I won, um, uh, or after I played um, in Abu Dhabi a couple of weeks ago, I got to number fifth. And it's just uh, if you focus too much on the ranking from a week to week basis, it's uh, um, you know it's it's going to take you up and down too much. Instead of if you focus on just your your skill set and, and make sure that everything is in order. Um, you know, you're you're probably going to play well at the next event, you, you, and uh, that's kind of what you need to take care of. You let your golf do the talking. Yep. Well, that's a good way of doing it. We're going to kick things off. We do, we normally do quick fire questions. We normally do nine of them, but sometimes it's not so quick fire. So we've shortened it down to seven. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. First, Victor, as, as Rick said, we're honoured to have you on the podcast. We've had some amazing guests recently and Tommy Fleetwood and Bryson and now yourself. So I think the calibre of golfers is just getting better and better. So again, thanks so much for joining us. And cool. we yeah. have got some questions off our listeners as well. We didn't tell them you were coming on until about five minutes ago and we've done a post on Facebook. And already the questions are coming in thick and fast, so we're looking forward to those at the end. Um, but yeah, as Rick said, we've got some either-or questions, but if you want to elaborate on them, please feel free. So number one, nine holes or the driving range? Uh, nine holes. Um, I get I get bored pretty easily on the driving range if I'm just kind of hitting shots without any goals. So mm -hmm. uh, for me, it's way better to just go and play nine holes, drop a few balls, and try to hit a cut into that green, hit a draw into that green, hit a low, hit a high. You know, you kind of mess around a little bit. Yeah, yeah I, so. I'm with you on that. The Bryson was the opposite, wasn't he? He said he's very <laughs> much hitting balls, hitting balls, which for me, I, it's boring for us because I don't stripe it every time. <laughs> if I hit it out the middle, I might enjoy hitting balls more, but definitely get on the golf course. Uh, number yeah, two. Yeah, I, uh, I played with him just uh, at the restart again, and uh, he said he hardly played golf over the, you know, the, the COVID shutdown. Um, in the states, I mean, he he was just beating balls on the range. It's pretty pretty incredible how he can come yeah. back and be that sharp. Yeah, uh, you, you think it would take a while to kind of knock off the rust? Yeah, certainly around like the short game and stuff. But uh, yeah, it's one of those things where I think I think once you've got it, as you guys all have, it doesn't take a lot to fine tune it, does it? Really, you'd <laughs> like to think. You'd like to think. Okay, Netflix or YouTube? 
Uh, YouTube, for Good sure. Good answer. Um, yeah, I, uh, I like watching shows, but I don't do that on a daily basis. Now, YouTube is a, is a daily occurrence, so I'm uh, going to have to stand with YouTube on that one. And are you still into your heavy metal on YouTube? Uh, well, that's, that's where I started to find my, uh, metal music, but now, uh, um, I'm kind of, I kind of know what albums are coming out certain dates. I know when to check Spotify and, and stuff like that, but I, I find, I find some stuff through, through YouTube. So it, it serves me well. Nice. Tiger or Jack? Tiger. It's not much else to say. <laughs> Done. Yeah. End of conversation. <laughs> Driving or putting? Um, driving, I would say. Um, is that because you prefer yeah. it more or you're better at it or you find it more exciting? Yeah, I, uh, uh, it's, it's one of my strengths in my game. And, uh, as we've all heard, uh, through recent years, it's becoming more and more important. Um, you know, drive for show, pup for dough was, it's always just been the same, but now, um, you know, there's more truth maybe the opposite way so um I, I think it's just a good thing to be good at if you if you can hit a little bit further if you can hit it somewhat straight you know you're gonna be pretty set up for for some good scores over the over the course of the season absolutely do you think obviously that's really become so much more kind of accepted hasn't it, in the golf world that's like you said four or five years that how important hitting it a long way actually is there's obviously a lot of young guys now like yourself doing so, so well who hit the golf ball a long way as well. Do you think that kind of helped you that you were kind of more in your amateur days and understood the importance of kind of gain and distance and hitting it a long way? Yeah, I think when I was a kid, um, it was starting to, to become popular, you know, trying to hit it further and, and swing it faster. But I, I, I wish I started even earlier and put even more emphasis on it uh, when I was younger because I felt like I kind of, got my back end of my junior career kind of starting to get into it. Whereas if I would have started earlier, I would have had some more speed uh, even where I am now. Because really the last couple of years, two, three years, I, that's really what I've been trying to swing it faster. And I think that's what you're seeing with a lot of the guys on tour. They're just now starting to swing it faster. Mm. Um, whereas I think the next generation, they're – you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, and they're always or already trying to swing for the fences. So um, I think that's going to be a difference when you when you see those kids get on tour maybe 10 years from now. It's going to be a, a little different. It is quite interesting hearing you, though, say about those kids, Victor, because uh, I think to most people at the moment, you, you're still in that category. <laughs> you're still in that category. Do you think what we'll see in the next 10 years, do you think we'll see like huge average increase in club head speeds, huge differences in ball speeds in the next 10 years with these new lads coming up? Uh, I, I wouldn't say huge because I, I think we're we're at a point where uh, guys are already hitting it pretty far. Um, and, you know, Bryson's reaching 200 miles, miles an hour ball speeds out there. Um, obviously, there's a difference from you know, kind of 180 miles an hour ball speed being uh, a long hitter. And then maybe, maybe you'll see more guys in the, in the 190s. But I, I think just the average is going to come up. Um, I, I don't think you're going to see more outrageous ball speeds than, you know, 200 miles an hour in, in the tournament, um, in a tournament round. But there's also some, I, I don't know, the longer you hit it, uh, yes, it's going to gain you an advantage, but it's, 
also other things becomes harder. So there might be a diminishing return there to where, um, I don't know, there is a sweet spot for, for ball speed and how far you hit it. But at the same time, you can be really, really precise with your wedges and, and short irons without, you know, having to worry about overspinning some shots or underspinning some shots. Or um, So I, I think there's a sweet spot there. Yeah, good answer. First app you open in the morning? Uh, let me check. I need to watch my phone. <laughs> Where's the phone? Uh, out? It's it's it'll probably be my text messages. I would say. Yeah. Even though they 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 aren't as fun as some of the other apps, but um, I would say that's the first one. Okay, this year, hopefully you will win again. Obviously, I'm sure you will, and hopefully you win a major. But if this year you were to win one major and it was either the Open or the Masters, which are you picking? Wow, that's a good one. Uh, obviously, St. Andrews um, at uh, uh, this year in the Open is, is going to be unreal. But at the same time, Masters is, uh, is pretty incredible. Um, I played my, my first major at the Masters and, and had a really cool experience being the low end with, with Tiger there. And, uh, um, yeah, it was uh, that was pretty incredible. Um, I don't know if I can really pick between the two, but I I think because the opens at St Andrews, I'm gonna have to pick uh, the open. But uh, I will take either or. Absolutely. You know, with that though, obviously, whenever you achieve anything, it kind of it feels amazing, and then you always end up thinking about what's next. But surely, when you won low amateur at the Masters, the year that Tiger Woods won that must have felt like you have kind of made it to some degree. Like you must have been so happy with that achievement. Yeah, but it was, it was, it was a lot of fun and I, I thought it was awesome, but it was more like, um, it was more like I was a part of something way bigger than my own kind of achievement. You know, I finished 32nd at the masters. Yeah, it was, it was really good for me as an amateur, but, you know, there's been other amateurs that have, have done better than me in in the Masters, and um, you know, 32nd places now aren't something we we kind of uh, remember too much. But it was more just kind of knowing, like I'm sitting in Butler's cabin with Tiger, hearing Jim Nance announce in the corner. It was more just, wow, this is I'm actually a part of mm. history uh, right now as like. I'm living through it uh, in real time, and you, you kind of just have to pinch yourself and think, "Wow, this is uh, <laughs> this is pretty ridiculous." I mean, that must be certainly the, tiger, the year that Tiger kind of came back and won as well. And you're there, sat in the Butler's cabin, like seeing it all happen in front of you. Like you saw the green jacket being passed over, you saw him putting it on. I mean, that is just incredible. Um, but what's mad? That's only 2019, and yep. you were still an amateur mm. then. Like in a re- ridiculously short period of time you must have over um achieved on your expectation levels in these in these first few years on tour surely oh yeah um it's uh it's pretty well to think about um now i knew that i, I wasn't even sure i was going to turn pro kind of that last year in school um and i played my first few pj tour events i played my and i played the farmers and i both I've missed a cut in both of those, uh, not by a lot, but uh, I missed two cuts there, and then I played uh, Bay Hill. I made the cut there with, without my my best game at all, and then I played the Masters and, and made a cut there and 
and didn't really feel like I played that well. So that's that's kind of when, um, you know, I became a lot more confident and comfortable um, the next time around at the U.S. Open um, when I when I um, played against the best in the world, and I I, I didn't feel out of place uh, as much as I did the first few times, and just that confidence I think is is maybe half the battle for uh, a lot of these college kids or, or or guys that are not fully established yet. You know, you kind of need your first few events to to find your ground, and and I would say I was lucky enough to play these events as an amateur, so I didn't have to use you know exemptions as a pro or or kind of learn further down the road. I, I kind of got that experience right away, and that gave me a lot of confidence going into my professional career, uh, thinking, okay, I can actually do this. But fast forward to, to everything that's gone on to this point, I would say it's, it's still been a very crazy journey. Um, I mean, winning, winning six times uh, worldwide and, and outrageous. Uh, in the world ranking, it's been, uh, yeah, it's been ridiculous, but it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. And there's been some great amateurs around the area, yourself and Colin and Matt Wolf. Who kind say, of there's been that, a, a handful of almost. Like, did it help having coming up with? I mean, did you play much college golf with Colin Morikawa and Matt Wolf? Like, and, and you all kind of turned pro at a similar time. Did that help you collectively? Were you talking to each other about it? Were you learning from each other's experiences? Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I think we're. Uh, um, I don't know if there's a saying or something, but I felt like when we first turned pro at Travelers, we were, we all kind of looked like three lost ducks <laughs> a little bit. Uh, we were just kind of looking at each other. Okay, what are, what are we going to do? Are we going to play well? Or, you know, do we think we can win? And, and then we just show up and, and we played well. And and I guess, okay, Colin plays sweet. I guess I can play sweet here as well. And, and you kind of go from there and, and obviously they got their wins really, really quickly. Um, just watching Matt win and then Colin won not uh, long after. And I've been on tour, or that wasn't even uh, a season for me on the tour. I was just playing on exemptions. And I almost got the impression, well, damn, I kind of have to win soon. <laughs> uh, but, uh, no, I, I, didn't, I didn't let it, like, um, kind of make me – or it, it, I didn't – let it kind of um, add pressure on me. I just kind of saw it as motivation and so I thought it was really cool what they, those guys were doing and I knew that if I just kind of kept believing in myself and working on, on good things, um, I was uh, hopeful that I could uh, lift the trophy as well. Amazing. I think there is a saying that could could uh, cover this, what you mentioned there. It's almost like rising tides rise together. Very and nice. I think, yeah, I think with the three, the three of you all pushing on in your own individual ways in a weird way but collaboratively because you've all kind of grown up and you've all turned pro at the same time it probably did just kind of spur you all on a little bit um and obviously since that you've all gone on to be incredible golfers and and <laughs> climbed the world ranking and major winners and uh unbelievable this one isn't a quick fire question but just off the back of talking about majors obviously you know, as a professional golfer, as a, an elite athlete, you kind of imagine that you want to go into each tournament kind of quite level-headed and just kind of calm. But equally, we know that the the majors, there's the strongest field and there's kind of the most to play for. Does it feel different when, I mean, certainly with the Open this year and the Masters, I guess, every year, but does it feel different when you rock up on the Monday or whatever it might be? Is there a different feeling kind of in the air when it's a, it's a major? 
Yeah, no, for sure. I definitely say uh, there is a different feel. It's a little bit weird though, because it's it's a little intangible. Um, it's hard to put your words exactly on what's different. Um, but as you alluded to, you kind of feel it in the air a little bit. It's a little, maybe a little quiet, quieter on the Monday and and like the first couple of days, and then when you start to see kind of everything come together and more and more people and and uh, the practice rounds start taking three and a half hours aside, you kind of you kind of um, let everything sink in. Um, but um, again, I, I haven't played too many majors. I've yet to kind of um, get a huge amount of success in one. I've played, I've played some uh, good golf in, in some of them, but I feel like my short game has kind of helped me back a little bit at some of the venues. Uh, but for my preparations, I try not to think about it too much. It's um, like I almost try to take my emotions out of the event in a sense that you just focus on each shot, shot and you try to go through your preparations and try to hit the best shot that you can hit um, every single time. And then you just add it up together instead of thinking, oh, cool, this is a, a gust uh, left in the trees there. It's not good. And this so hard or, or whatever kind of um, thoughts your your mind is uh, is thinking. Um, even though you should enjoy the moment and you should have a good time out there, but it's more um, thinking about just the, the, the golf processes instead of, um, oh, wow, this is the Masters, uh, this is the green jacket or this is the color jug and I need to make this putt to have a chance or you know, you, you, you kind of, uh, your mind start to wander a little bit. So just try to focus on the golf. And the last question, have you got, do you want to follow on from that? No, go on. I've got some more okay. follow-up we've questions. Got, we've got definitely. a lot. But <laughs> the last kind of question was then, you get your, because don't you, when you're on the PJ Tour, before you round, you get like a text with your tee time and who you're playing with. So when you get that text, would you, if you could pick between like people who you're actually friendly with, who you just, you know, you're going to have a great laugh with and maybe chat to, or would you almost rather be playing with guys that are just good to play with? So I'm guessing there's guys out there who you might not be particularly friendly with or pally with, although you're obviously more than happy to play with them, but to actually play with the very good, maybe they're quite quick or whatever it is, what kind of makes you feel most relaxed on the course? Is it kind of friends or just people who are just good to play with or both? Yeah, I, uh, it's actually funny you say that because um, I've noticed a little bit, um, like I don't like to... If I'm in contention, it's kind of weird. I don't know if it's good or bad, but usually the first two rounds, I'm a lot more talkative uh, in a tournament just because, you know, it's the first couple of rounds and I'm just trying to feel loose and, and try to play my game. But if I'm getting close to contention, I don't like to talk a whole lot. Um, I'll usually go by myself a little bit and, and just be in my own head and, and just grind. Um, so I did notice that... Uh, um, we weren't in school together, but when I play the, the final uh, round with Taylor Gooch uh, in Mycoba uh, at the end of last uh, uh, last year, um, we're good friends because we both went to Oklahoma State, um, and his caddy Mel is a good guy. Um, and uh, I just, like, noticed the first few holes, we were just, like, talking a lot. And Taylor and, and Mel, they like to talk a lot. And, and I just, like, had to, you know – just kind of walk a little off to the side and, and kind of just be by myself a little bit because I felt like I could uh, focus uh, a little bit better doing that instead of, you know, talking a lot about other things. It just kind of gets me out of that mindset. So um, 
I, I think that little things like that are stuff that you're you're still trying to figure out. Um, you know, it's it's all about kind of learning yourself better uh, under what circumstances do you perform better, um, what circumstances do you perform worse in, and, and kind of just learning from that. And I just feel comfortable, you know, when I'm uh, in my own head and I can just kind of grind the whole way. Yeah, but like I say, it can vary th- almost through the tournament. Yeah. Thursday yeah. chatty, Friday less chatty, Saturday Sunday, nobody talks like, to you Sunday. Yeah. I'm going to go win. <laughs> Talk to the hand. Yeah. I, I'm in win mode. On a follow-up question to that, do you prefer, let's say you're in the hunt, let's say you get final day, you're in the hunt, do you prefer to be in last group? Do you prefer to be leading going in or do you prefer to be a little bit back kind of chasing? Have you noticed any preferences there? Um, I, I don't think I have a big enough sample size to kind of, really know for sure. Um, I, I think if I'm starting the same amount of strokes behind, uh, so it's, it, it doesn't matter if I'm, you know, it, it's not like I'm one shot behind in the last group and then two shots behind in a second to last group. Uh, just one stroke behind in, in each group. I, w- I would think I would almost prefer being in the, in the group in front just to kind of separate myself in, I, I don't know, I, I just... I feel like I would be ahead, and then if I make a bunch of birdies, uh, that would get into the heads of the guys behind me more so if I played with them. And I feel like it'd be harder for me to make all those birdies if I'm in the last group. I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of a weird uh, um, situation. But I, there's something about just kind of being separated from the last group and you're making a bunch of birdies, and you feel like you're kind of – uh, a lone man versus the last group instead of just being entrenched in the last group, if that makes any sense. Well, certainly your most recent win in Dubai, you were, what, two or three groups? <laughs> Even more? How how far off were you from the final group? <laughs> yeah, I uh, must have been maybe third or, or fourth group um, from the from the last group. And you had you had a uh, screaming Sunday and managed to get in the playoff against Richard Bland and obviously then won the playoff. But you know that's probably a a, a very good um, case study, as you say, when when you're saying about being behind and making a bunch of birdies, and it forces those guys at the top of the leaderboard to think, oh God, Victor's making a charge. Yeah. Like he's getting up there, yeah. he's making all these birdies, and you've got to put yourself in a position. You kind of want both, I guess. You want to kind of get to that point, like Tiger in his day. We've got the reputation where people know if you're leading. <laughs> Oh, like Victor's lead is yeah, maybe hard to chase him. him. <laughs> or like if you're a few behind, they start quaking. Like, oh, shit, Victor's behind us. He's coming for us. Um, this is a question I've always wanted to ask a tour pro. And you have obviously had incredible uh, recent success. So you, I reckon you'll give us a really good rep- representation now. What happens when you win? So you've won a tournament. Explain to me what actually happens. Like... Who's the first person you message? How, how busy is your phone when you pick it up? Like after the rat, like what actually happens? I'd love to know that. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a bunch of tedious stuff that you have to deal with, but obviously, it's it's a lot better when you've just won, and it makes it a lot easier to do. Uh, but uh, I mean, usually, um, if we take Dubai for example, um, I uh, finish up on the 18th green. Um, Cameras first come in, and, and uh, you have an interview right there and then, which you guys see. I saw that and one, that, that's Richard uh, Bland's coach. 
wasn't it? That yeah. Was... <laughs> and you very nicely apologised for beating Richard. And <laughs> that was the that was a tough spot for him. Uh, I felt for him, but um, yeah. So, uh, but that's the first thing that happens, and then you kind of go uh, behind, uh, kind of where we sign the scorecards and stuff, and there's a little room. Um, sign a bunch of flags, take a bunch of pictures. Um, um, like how many how many flag, how many flags do you sign straight away? For example, I probably a couple hundred flags. A couple uh, hundred. This is straight away. Uh, well, okay, maybe not straight away. It's first all the pictures and stuff with the guys from the tournament, all the sponsors, uh, and then I gave a little um, a little speech when I got the trophy, um, and uh, yeah, I just talked to some more people. Uh, and then we went and did all the signing stuff. It was a lot of back and forth and uh, might have been slightly intoxicated. So um, <laughs> I don't remember away. every single step of the way, but uh, it was a lot of back and forth, a lot of, lot of pictures. How long, between, of how long between holding the last put on the last green in the playoff, how long in time was it from that to the first beer that you had? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, I uh, I think we started off with champagne um, nice. that Sunday, but um, I, it probably took me a good three hours before I was back to my hotel, and I properly celebrated with some of my friends and and um, and had a had a nice late dinner. Um, so it was uh, it was a, a yeah a long time on the golf course, but it was uh, uh, it was a uh, yeah easy. Easy stuff. So, so you pick your phone up. You've just won. <laughs> like, who, who's who are you expecting on there? I'm guessing. Are you, do you see text messages and WhatsApps from everybody? Like everybody you've ever met is there? On yeah, you know, who's, got, was, who's got the, your number? There's, there's a there's a lot of notifications on there. That's for sure. Um, it's a little. Um, I mean, obviously my mistake, but you know when you get mess or notifications on Snapchat, Instagram messenger facebook um and obviously text messages it's it's a little tough because some sometimes all the people that i know or some people that i don't know well have obviously a, a way to reach me and that pops up pops up as a notification but you know if i want to talk to my mom and dad it's kind of hard for me to go through all those notifications to find uh that so it just like um it's just a it's just a mess in there and it kind of takes me a while to to go through all the messages and stuff but i try to at least text my mom and dad as as soon as possible when i get the chance and and have a quiet moment so is it like the next day when you sat there just going through them all like reading all these text messages off everybody and replying to some of them etc yeah pretty much uh the next day i flew direct from uh dubai to dallas uh so i had a good 15 hours to run through some some messages so that was uh it worked out well and how how hungover were you i wasn't too bad it wasn't okay. too bad okay you're getting you, i know getting, when to stop <laughs> getting used to the champagne and winning <laughs> I, i've always kind of wanted to know that that side of it because i always think as soon as it happens like I, again you don't have to answer this question when's like the money going to your bank account like how quick is that or is that a long process uh, I don't really know, but I, I don't know if it's different from the PP World Tour or the PJ Tour, but I think it's usually maybe the Wednesday after. Oh, really? That, so it's quite, so, quite yeah. soon. Yeah, it's pretty quick. So, um, yeah. 
This is the kind of thing where we were talking on the last podcast, Victor, about this Drive to Survive Formula One series and how it's shown you all the insights. Obviously, this year it's going to be on the PJ Tour. This is the exact kind of thing as like golf fans that you don't see. And it sounds to you, it's obviously things just like administration things, but like to the to the average fan, it's like you want to see what actually happens, don't you? Exactly. Like when the golf cameras kind of get turned off. I like I, I yeah. love I I know the the DP World Tour have done it a little bit more recently where they'll mic you up right when you're doing all the presentations and we get a glimpse of you speaking to like Keith Pelly or some of the marshals or some of the volunteers and I can't get enough of it so I just think it's fascinating it's all the things you don't normally see um, and do you do you enjoy obviously you've just won you, that's what you're out there to do you're out there to win do you enjoy all the media side of it? Do you enjoy all the interviews? I know obviously we're doing a kind of podcast interview now, so hopefully you don't say you don't not enjoy <laughs> Absolutely it. Absolutely hate it. But like, do you enjoy <laughs> even doing the speeches? Are you, are you quite used to that now? Like, is that is that natural to you? Uh, it's definitely not natural, but it's it's something that I've gotten a lot better at. Um, it, it just kind of, it, and I think because uh, I, I, I'm an only child uh, and I grew up in Norway, and especially in the winter, like you don't see a lot of people uh you go to i would go to class i would go and practice indoors for a couple hours and then i'm just home and i'm in the house for um you know six hours every evening and then just get wait uh, and just chill and wait to get ready for school the next morning so like you're very protected in a way uh so for me coming to oklahoma state and to college and you meet a bunch of donors you meet people that are well connected and you have to actually be able to talk to people and and be able to represent yourself and in, in a certain way so that that kind of got me out of my comfort zone a little bit um and it's like that do get easier over time but it's um interviews and kind of speeches and stuff that it's not something that uh, that i'm longing for or something that i absolutely need in my life now interviews like these are are fine um i enjoy them more because you know we don't have uh, obviously, it's it's a longer form. We can actually go into stuff on a more detailed uh, in more detail, and we can frankly just talk about anything. Um, so I, I enjoy that a lot more than just kind of oh how how did you feel about your round today or uh, wow that was a nice eagle there you know talk about the chip in or or whatever you know it just becomes pretty standard. Um, so I enjoy these forms a little bit more, but. Um, Usually all the stuff is a bit tedious. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Another one then, from obviously you won the US Amateur, which is it is the biggest amateur event in the world, isn't it? I think that and the British Amateur, you, you'd consider the biggest. And and what's interesting is when you look at that list of, of US Amateur and British Amateur winners, obviously some of those go on to be super successful and household names. But some of them, certainly some of the runner-ups as well, you don't, then see go on and really push but obviously they're elite amateur golfers they wouldn't be getting to that position in those tournaments if they weren't or winning obviously but what is that kind of it's very hard to say what are those kind of top top things that some of these guys may then don't possess is it more adapting to the lifestyle is it the fact that when you're playing for hard cash it actually makes you feel so much more nervous what what are those things that stop some of these elite golfers going on to be elite professionals yeah, that's that's an interesting question. I guess that's that's maybe the million dollar questions that we we all ask ourselves. You know, in college, do we have what it takes to to get to the next level? Um, and uh, I would say maybe to uh, the example of the USAM, you can um, 
I just think with it being match play, there's a lot of variance in the tournament. Um, obviously, you're playing a lot of rounds, um, so it makes it harder to, to get further. Uh, but I, I just think with it being match play, you can maybe play some easier guys than other guys play against, and, and you might see some guys that you know are ranked 1,000 in the world um, and win the event or finish runner-up, and yeah, you've had a great week, but is your overall consistently consistency level um, good enough to take your game uh, to the next level? Because um, I would say there's that's a cool thing uh, about me kind of coming over to uh, Oklahoma State to play college golf. You know, I had heard of you know t- thirty guys in Europe in junior golf um, that you would think, okay, these guys are the best. 30 kids in, in Europe, and I know ev- you know everything about them. But when you get to the states, and suddenly we're qualifying for the team, I mean, even the seventh and eighth and nine guy on the team could you know tee it up anywhere and, and play well. Uh, and you've never heard of these guys, so I, I think the top level for all these amateurs, you know, you could be ranked 900th on the world amateur golf rankings, and you could still have a really, really good uh, top level, but it's just about that consistency, um, and that could be a lot of things. You know, some guys just don't hit it far enough, and they get a lot out of their games. So in amateur golf, you can succeed at a very high level because you know how to you know how to think around the golf courses. You know how you play the golf courses really well, and you can maybe cash in a bunch of top tens, but uh, you don't quite get those wins to prove that you're ready for the next level. And then maybe you have some guys that are freaky talented and they have a, um, a really high, um, you know, top level, but they have some misses here and there that are just not too playable uh, at certain courses. And when you're playing against the best player in, in the world, you can't really afford to, to waste too many uh, shots. So I, I think it's, it's an interesting question. Um, and I think it's all very individual. You know, there's always a story behind a guy that, you know, let's say maybe finished second at the, at the USAM or won the USAM and they're not longer playing professional golf. There's always, you know, maybe one thing here and there that the guy regrets doing or something happened in his life. And, yeah, it's it's, it's an interesting topic. Of course it is because it could even, as you mentioned there, you talked about a lot of the, the actual limitations out on the golf course. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Possibly, it might just be personality traits. Mm-hmm. Like they might not like to travel, or they might not have the funding, or they might not have the support from family members or friends. Like, or it might get injured. Like there are actually so many things that could stop this. This mm-hmm. guy's just got the list of like U.S. Amateur Open, uh, U.S. Amateur winners, and it's like there are scattered names that you obviously recognise, but quite a lot of names that you you don't don't see again. Well, it's a bit like looking at the silver medal as well at the Open. You know, some of those guys like a Rory go on to obviously be Rory, and other guys mm-hmm. don't quite you know, excel, but you think they've obviously played an amazing of style course. in front of a packed out crowd at the Open Championships. They've got the game to some degree, but it's it's just fascinating because I think why I get so kind of fascinated by this is like, I'm not a great golfer at all. But as a junior, I was like a four handicapper, which at my club was quite good. And then you get the guys that around me then played for the county who were much, much better. Then the guys that get in the England set up who were obviously better again. And then it keeps going and going and going, doesn't it? And it gets to a point where it's like, how good do you actually have to be yeah. to be a professional golfer on the PJ Tour? And the answer is very, very good. <laughs> very, very good and very consistent yes. as well. Like, you know, it's huge. I mean, do you think that's one of the best things that you kind of did in your career path? Obviously, I want to come. I do want to dive into a little bit about you, your kind of upbringing in a moment. Obviously, being from Norway and the the limitations you potentially had there. Do you think that's one of your best decisions when you moved over to Oklahoma State? Did that, that really kind of open your eyes to the possibilities of who you who you're competing against, but also drive you forward more to push yourself harder? Yeah. No, <clears throat> I always knew I was going to go to college because uh, our winners and and you know, Norway is not the best setup for, for golf. So for me to kind of go to the States and I get an extra, in theory, four years to, to hone my game and get ready for professional golf, that was a, that was a no-brainer for me because I had a couple of friends that would turn pro out of high school and they would play the Nordic League or some mini tours in, in, uh, <clears throat> in Scandinavia to try to kind of get through the ranks in, in Europe that way. But I just knew I wasn't ready, uh, both from a, a golfing standpoint, but also a, um, you know, personality standpoint. I had a lot to learn, and I had a lot of growing up to do. Um, and I, I think just circling back to, to what you said earlier about be, it being a personality trait as well, I think that's that's one of the, the biggest things because there are so many guys that can play golf at the highest level, but I think, um, you know, I, I've always been uh, – 
a little introverted. So when I come to a new place that I just don't know anything about, I tend to be a little quiet. Um, I don't take up as a whole lot of room, and it takes me a little bit of time to get adjusted. But I, I would say I'm also very good at adjusting. Um, so if you put me into a new environment, I'm eventually going to adapt to kind of my surroundings, and I'm going to figure out a way to 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 make it work essentially to to be able to perform. Um, and I think that's that's been maybe my best attribute so far. I just look at kind of when I first turned pro, I I probably had 10 miles an hour less ball speed when I first turned pro. And I also hit the ball really low. Uh, there were multiple shots around the greens that I couldn't hit, and I wasn't a very good green reader. Um, whereas now I've kind of, like, I've found ways to adapt at every single part of my game. Like, I hit it higher now because the courses allow or they – expect you to come in with, with more spin and, and higher launch so you can stop the balls on the greens and you need to hit it further to, to play some of these courses that we're playing. So, uh, But at the same time, just be calm uh, when you're playing in, in front of so many people and uh, you have high-pressure situations that you don't, like, yeah, it's okay to be nervous, but you get better every single time you're exposed to them. So I think that's kind of just one of the most important things that you you learn from stuff instead of because I've seen people you know home same person they never change um, so I think that's that's interesting to, to just watch you just cut out briefly there Victor just on, on a little bit of signal but I think we yeah. got we got the gist of what what you were saying there because I think so so rewind back time, kind of, it's not super popular golf in Norway, is it? Am I, am I right in saying that? No, it's, uh, you're right. Um, it was, uh, I mean, we've had a decent amount of people play, but you wouldn't hear too much on the, on the news or uh, there weren't that many guys that would watch it uh, Thursday through Sunday. Now we had a little bit of an up- uptick with the, uh, Henrik Bjornstad playing the PJ Tour for a few years. Uh, so that was good for Norwegian golf. But then we kind of uh, went on a little decline for uh, the next decade or so. So, um, yeah, it's going a little bit up and down. But with Norway being a winter nation and with the uh, Winter Olympics going on, uh, which we did pretty well in, it's uh, we, we have just a little different focus. Golf is not the... Um, the, the highest on the priority list for sure. So, what was your winter sport playing growing up? What were you into? <laughs> uh, I guess like every Norwegian get into just cross country skiing. Uh, you're basically not a Norwegian if you if you don't know how to ski. So, uh, <laughs> I did that for a little bit, but I never really liked it. Uh, downhill skiing was a lot more fun, but it got to a point where you know I was maybe 11 or 12 years old and. I was less interested in going up and, and skiing the mountains in the weekend. Uh, rather, I just want to be home and hit balls inside. Um, and, uh, yeah, that wasn't that wasn't so fun to do for four months of the year. But, um, yeah, I, I was just keen on playing golf than I was doing other winter sports. Uh, but I also played soccer or football and and uh, I did also martial arts, so Taekwondo for a few years. Oh, wow. Well, is it true you're a black belt in Taekwondo? 
yeah. That, that is, was a long time ago, but yep. Because I saw that online. I thought, this is either true, which is unbelievable, or it's one of those really random like rumours <laughs> that say, I didn't want to ask you, and then you go, no, that's absolute rubbish, what you're talking about. <laughs> that's madness. So you must have been very skilled in to get to Black Belt. Yeah, no, it was, I, I thought it was pretty good, but it, then again, I went from like first grade to seventh grade. So I went for seven years, but I was really, really young. So it's been a, it's been a, a, a number of years since then. You know, I, uh, I'm not as flexible as I was when I was in seventh grade and I could throw a bunch of kicks around, but uh, no, it's, it's good to have regardless. It's, just a bit. it's a good it's more than anything it's a good fact when somebody says right victor tell me a fun fact about you that nobody knows i can kick your ass <laughs> like, so, <laughs> suddenly oh i've got a black belt in taekwondo no big deal so if if golf wasn't super popular in norway not the not the primary sport as it's not most places granted and how, what what got you into it what, what motivated you to kind of grind and hit balls and practice and get better yeah, well, my dad kind of first got me into the game. He actually worked in, in St. Louis, Missouri uh, when I was really young and, and picked up the game there and, and brought a golf set back to Norway when uh, I was probably about three or four years old. So I was really, really young. And uh, there's actually a big, big field uh, maybe five minutes away from my house, walking distance, and Got a lot of people play uh, football or go for runs, walks. It's just a big field, and I would bring some balls out, and we would kind of hit my first shots out there. Um, and um, as I said, I also did football and taekwondo. So up until when I got to 11 or 12, that's kind of when I wanted to practice golf in the winters and, and take it a bit more seriously. But I just it got to a certain point where, you know, I just really got bitten by the by the bug, and uh, when I got a little bit better, I could actually hit decent shots. You know, I could get the ball airborne, and and the ball started traveling further and further, and it just becomes really, really addictive. So, who who was like? Were you watching the? Were you watching the golf on the TV? Was were you watching stuff online? What was there anything in there that kind of really? Obviously, Tiger, I'm guessing, was influence is for most of us. Mm. Was there any other kind of influences at, at that point? Yeah, I mean, I grew up watching the European Tour. Um, just Thursday through Sunday, I would wake up first thing in the morning, just turn it on the TV and, and, and you know, watch them play in South Africa or France or wherever it, uh, wherever it was. And um, so obviously getting a lot of, uh, a, a golf through that way, but also um, like when when I got to high school and I, I would sit on the computer even in the classroom and just watch highlights of Tiger Woods and and um, yeah, I just get get goosebumps every time I was watching him make a putt or, or hit a shot from the rough or slice it you know around the trees. It was just the the charisma that he had uh, and the way he kind of pulled off those shots that. Um, it was pretty awe-inspiring, and and uh, just kind of wanted to uh, get better and, and yeah, see see if I could do somewhat similar things to, to what he was doing. So that's amazing. So I'm guessing when you go back to Norway now, you kind of like you must be like royalty. Like you know, <laughs> you've you've got this kind of number four golfer in the world currently. You've won six times on the tour. I mean. You must be going back there, and, and how often do you go back? But are you, are you 
are you welcome? Are you treated differently? Are you going to get knighted? Are you going to become the king of Norway? <laughs> like, how does, how does that how does that pathway look? Uh, yes, yes, and yes. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I go I go home a couple times a year. So usually I go home for every uh, winter break uh, for Christmas time and stuff. And I hadn't been home in a couple years in the summer, which um, I did go home last summer. Uh, and that was a bit weird because I hadn't played golf in Norway for a couple of years. And, uh, we have this uh, website called, uh, golf box where you just register your golf rounds, uh, before, you know, if you're going to go play somewhere. And I had a few friends in the night before, um, you know, uh, 10 o'clock tea time the next day. And when we show up, there's like 200 people on the first hole. Um, <laughs> and so that was that was a bit strange. Um, I did not really anticipate that because at the time I, I hadn't been home in, in a couple of years in the summer, but I guess um, it's been, um, I, I guess a lot of people in Norway have kind of started to watch golf in the weekends and, and I would go like to a gas station and, and just get some snacks and the guy would say, Hey, you, are you Victor? Um, and I would just kind of make small talk and just say, ask, hey, yeah, cool, do you play golf or, or anything? He said, no, I've never tried, but I've, I've been watching everything. It's, it's like it kind of, yeah, it's uh, it's just a, a bit weird getting recognized at home, and especially from from people that aren't even golfers. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing is, you know, is, is getting recognized on the golf course. That's, you know, kind of my working place. But um, getting recognized outside of that is, is pretty weird, but – um, it's cool to see that more people are starting to play golf back home and, and, and starting to get kind of uh, more acclimated to the game and, and see how great of a game it is. You, you must be really proud of that. You know, obviously, it sounds like you've had a huge influence on these golfers, new golfers coming to the game in Norway. I mean, that must be something you, you, you're going to look back on in from now and many years to go and go, I've, I've managed to influence that. And I've, I've brought this new breed of Norwegian golfers out. I mean, that must be incredible. Yeah, it's, it's pretty ridiculous. Uh, cause I, I mean, I'm still trying to figure things out. I've only been a pro for two and a half years. Uh, so it kind of makes me feel really, really old in a way. <laughs> um, you know, that they're, uh, kids already, they're looking up to me and, 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 and trying to pursue the game of golf. Um, and also, I, I live in Stillwater, Oklahoma. It's a college town, so I'm hanging out with a, a bunch of college kids that are on the golf team, and we play every single day. So, uh, yeah, it's just a good way for me to, to feel really old, I guess. But, uh, no, it's it's cool. Obviously, I just try to focus on uh, what I need to do to get better, but at the same time, if, if other kids can if, – or people in general can, can you know, if they like what I'm doing and – and they find motivation in that. That's 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 pretty cool. I can I can just picture it now. A load of Norwegian kids double pump in the backswing. <laughs> <laughs> That'd probably be one of one of my uh, advices to not uh, try to replicate. That. Could could you imagine in the future like Hovland schools of golf over there? Could is that something on the pipe in the pipeline? Is there anything uh, that you you're, you're interested in? Uh, it's not, definitely not in the works as of right now. But um, that. Uh, really cool to give something back um something like that maybe a few projects or uh, academy or I, I don't know it's those are cool ideas but I, I think that will be a little bit in the distant future 
Speaking of the future, then, as an elite an elite athlete, you, you know, you have to be so much in the moment, focused kind of day to day and, you know, one shot at a time. I know it's a cliche, but on the golf course, you can't, like, let yourself get beyond the moment you're in. But are you a kind of a golfer who has dreams of winning X amount of majors, X amount of tournaments? Is that something, or is there athletes out there that you want to, you know, there was always that story of Tiger used to just be obsessed with beating Jack and he'd have posts on the wall and that was his mission. Are you kind of like that with anybody or do you have an amount of like majors you want to win or is it, what, what, how do you see that or is it just one tournament at a, at a time? Yeah, it's, it sounds boring, but it's, it's just kind of one tournament at a time. Yes, the majors are elevated and they certainly are the biggest tournaments in golf. Um, but I, I almost found that, find that mindset to be a little counterintuitive if you go into a week and just thinking, okay, this is the, this is actually like one of the most important mm. weeks of the year. And you almost not psych yourself out, but it's, it's still the same game that I did. Like for example, if I played the week before and I played well, well, I just keep doing that and then hopefully yeah. I'm in contention and can and pick one off, you know, it's instead of trying to put too much pressure on yourself. Um, and for me, it's more like, yes, I'd like to win a major, but I, I think it's really cool that, um, like just kind of looking at my uh, resume already, if you will, um, that I've won six times and they've all been, you know, in different parts of the world. Um, I haven't won one on, on U.S. soil yet, which I want to change, but uh, I think it's cool that I have a win in Germany, in Dubai, in Puerto Rico, Mexico. I, I think it's just cool to, um, you know, kind of put your name on different trophies and, and all over the world instead of just kind of playing the same events every single year. And, you know, yeah. It, it, yeah. It, so, so you're just like not just going through the motions yeah. every single year, but you, you mix it up and, Hey, I want to go, I want to go to Asia and I want to try to win there, or I want to go to South America and try to play there or, I guess that keeps it fresh as well for you, doesn't it? It keeps it exciting for you going to different places, seeing different places, different courses. You know, that that should keep you excited as well, I guess. The the one thing I've heard from a lot of, a a few players now, not not a lot, (laughs) big exaggeration, but a few players, that they're more trying to control their own controllables now. So they're, they're trying to control on the things that they can improve on. So very small, gradual steps to improve the putting, improve the chipping, improve the driving. And those changes will lead to more results, will lead to more trophies. Instead of saying, looking at goals that are almost externally, which you can't always control, can you? You can control what you're good at and what you're bad at and what you need to improve on. So is is there anything kind of in the next six months or so, or even the next month, I guess, that are your weaknesses that you are trying to really improve on? Yeah, I, uh, I mean, it's, it's a very interesting thing. And again, it, it sounds boring to say that because there's so many things in golf, especially in golf, that you can't control. So if you can just take care of what you can control and do that to the best of your abilities, then you just let that play out. And over 100 times or how many, however many times, you're going to become more successful if you improve at something. Um, it's a little bit like poker. Uh, I'm pretty interested in poker. And you can get it in aces versus kings, and you might lose three times in a row. Even though, I mean, you're you're a heavy, heavy favorite, so you would want that spot every single time you had the chance. But just because you lost three times in a row doesn't mean that you played it poorly. Um, 
So I, I think there's a lot of that to golf. Uh, you can hit a good shot, and and maybe the wind is a little off on, uh, when you try to hit it, and and uh, the iron shot instead of being stuffed, it, it you know just goes barely over the green. Now you're short sided and making bogey. Um, and obviously you want to try to learn from that, but there's some times where you're gonna do the best you can and you're gonna actually pull off the shot, but it doesn't quite work out that way. Um, so I, I think and kind of just alluding to what I said earlier, you kind of have to take your emotions out of the tournament in a sense or take the emotions out of uh, of preparing for a shot because you kind of look at it in a vacuum. You just, okay, this is the right club, this is the right play, and then you just step up and, and try to execute. That's a good point. I think what's weird, like as a, as a, when you're watching golf as a kind of, a, as a fan or whatever, we get so much kind of, noise around the majors around the open around the masters certainly the television channels saying like the masters are in only seven days or 10 days or whatever and so was it such a big thing and obviously it's the players but you kind of almost expect the players to have that mindset going in but they almost can't like you said no. because if you went into the masters thinking, oh my god this is it this is the masters this is my chance to get the green jacket that's not the right mindset surely you're not going to perform if you have that mindset hmm. yeah it's very interesting which I, I but at the same time it might be different from other people because yeah. I've, uh, I mean, I heard Brooks Kepka, for example, would say, "Oh, this is a major. I'm gonna basically win this week." You know, that's, he that's he, he he puts a lot of added pressure on himself by saying those things. But at the same time, he does really, really well in the majors. So for him, that might be a way of of just really getting focused, I guess, and and it brings the best out of his game. But for other people, that might be a little different. Um, I remember when, uh, and you said you had Bryson on your show. I don't know if he talked about that, but when he would say, for example, at Augusta that it's a par was 67, 67 or something for him. Yeah. I mean, it's like you're, you're kind of put, putting a lot of pressure on yourself sure. to, to shoot 67 or lower. Um, and I think he also said that after the fact that, you know, he put a little too much pressure on himself and, and he felt it. And it's just not a good place to be in to, to perform your best, I feel like. Um, so instead of not not even saying those things publicly, but, but to yourself, I've even noticed too, uh, if I'm playing really, really well and I'm striping it and I'm making a lot of putts, I'm just like, okay, this game is easy. We're, you know, what's the course record? Let's do it. Um, but then, as I said, you quickly get pretty back quality once you hit a – a pretty decent four iron or something and you get the the wind wrong or a bad bounce and then suddenly now you're plugged in the lip of the bunker and you're making a bogey or double that quickly gets you back to to normal normal in a little bit so it's just it's important to not let your mind wander too much and just kind of stick to the processes the amount of times I've birded the first hole and gone straight <laughs> online to check what the course record is <laughs> and, and then make double up the next. <laughs> it's happened so many times. You know, you know we've, we've gone very, very golf heavy today, Victor. And, it, and even though it's a golf podcast, we don't normally go super, super golf heavy. Like, what else do you do? What do you do to, like, relax? You mentioned poker a minute ago. Is there any other things that you do and you love to do? Yeah, I mean, my my days are kind of boring, to be honest with you. Um, usually, at a tournament week, for example, uh, I mean, I don't get a whole lot of a whole lot of time. I, I like to practice. I like to prepare. I like to spend time on the golf course. Um, 
So you should try to get some work, some kind of workout in. And then at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm kind of tired. So I'll listen to music. Uh, I'll listen to, you know, I'll try to watch some poker videos or I'll try to play some poker myself. Um, or I, I really like to listen to music, um, specifically the, the metal stuff. Heavy metal. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then I uh, just kind of FaceTime my buddies and, and just kind of keep in touch with what's got, with what's going on. Um, I don't really do a lot, but, um, you know, I either work pretty hard or, or I don't do anything at all. That's kind of, that's kind of what my, <laughs> my daily routine is about. In the last 12 months or so, there's definitely been a shift in your body shape. Like you've definitely bulked up. I'm guessing that's an effort to create more clubhead speed. Is it something you enjoy doing? Have you had to force yourself to do it? Do you enjoy doing it now? Um, and, and and was it ev- effectively to get more ball speed or was it to pick up some more ladies or was it to <laughs> look look better in a golf shirt? Like what was the motivation? <laughs> Yeah, I would say the motivation was uh, multifaceted. Good answer. No, it's uh, definitely there's. I mean, it's just kind of general health for most of it. Um, you know, you just you feel better, uh, and obviously, you, you. I can do what I'm doing for a longer time if I take care of my body and I stay on top of it. Uh, but also just, you know, uh, the body feels better on a day-to-day basis. You get more confidence because it feels better. Um, and obviously it's, it's helped me hit a little bit further. Um, yeah, I, I do kind of enjoy it um, at the same time. Uh, I do some weightlifting. Other times I just do like cardio just to get up my heart rate up a little bit. So it's been a combination of, you know, Yes, golf-specific stuff, but at the same time, I do a lot just for general health. Um, but it's also been a little interesting, too, that I've been trying to learn more about because, you know, lifting weights, because obviously you have to stimulate your muscles to get bigger. Um, you also get pretty tired, so knowing the time and kind of how to do it and when to do it, yeah, it's just because I'm, I'm a pretty motivated person. So for me to wake up every day, you know, I want to get a hard workout in. I want to get some cardio in. I want to hit balls. I want to work on my putting. I want to play nine holes. I uh, want to work on my chipping. And you just kind of map that out throughout the day. Yeah, you do one day of all that stuff. But the next day, you're going to be so tired. Mm-hmm. And you might go through the motions, but you're not getting, you're not getting any good practice in. So that's been like a tough thing for me to, to handle, uh, is that, okay, I want to get stronger and I want to work out hard because if I go to the gym and I don't work out hard, it feels like I'm not doing anything, but at the same time, knowing that that's going to affect my cognitive abilities the rest of the day, but also physical abilities. I'm not going to be able to, to do a speed session later in the day, for example, because my muscles are already just fried. So kind of knowing how to listen to your body and scheduling things, you know, work out here, okay, maybe a speed session two days after that workout, uh, and just little things like that I, I find very interesting because I'm all about, I really enjoy the process, and I'm all about just tweaking my daily routines so that I edge, um, 
like I, I optimize my day a little bit better. So in the long run, I'm going to get, I'm going to improve at a way faster rate. The vibe I'm getting, Victor, is this success hasn't happened by accident. <laughs> Not overnight. <laughs> I, I'm getting, I'm getting this, I'm getting this vibe that you're a pretty clever fella and you're very switched on and you seem incredibly mature and like everything you've said today is, has had reasoning and it's, and it's very understandable and it's measured and it's calculated and it's all pointing to become the better version mm. of yourself, not just on the golf course, but just of yourself in general, which I think needs to be really uh, kind of praised, really. You know, 100%. it makes me feel very old, very fat, very uh, lack of talent. So after this podcast, <laughs> I'm going to the gym. I know. I'm going to hit 50 balls, I'm going to eat just lettuce, and I'm going to be the next Victor Hovland. And I'm going to, Oklahoma, <laughs> and I'm going to Oklahoma State. <laughs> what? Um, right, we've got some quick fire questions. I'll tell you what, for we, you. we've got some questions from the audience, Victor, but I'll be honest with you. I don't think this is uh, um, a compliment to your interviewing, Rick, but we've actually asked so many of these. So many people wanted to say about your goals for the future, which we've kind of come to the conclusion of, you're going to win more events, we know that, but you're just going to do it tournament by tournament. Um, there was a question, actually, which I won't understand this at all, but um, what's your favourite Metallica album? was one of the questions. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't really, I don't listen to too much Metallica, to be honest. Is that a bit too mainstream? Well, it was kind of my... It, I mean, Metallica is great, and it was kind of my... One of my first kind of gate, getaway uh, or gateway uh, bands to kind of delve into some, some harder stuff. But um, I, I, I'm not a super big fan of their later albums. So I would say just anything of their, you know, maybe first three or four albums, I would say, or... or you know, my, my favourite. I'm going to sound like uh, a proper old, proper old man now. The old sound, the bloody same. All these. <laughs> well, I, I don't want to flex. I don't want to flex too hard. But when I was in year six at school, and I was eleven, so what's that? Twenty years ago, I'd actually have a Lincoln Park album. So it was. Yes. Uh, is it Hybrid <laughs> Theory or something like that? It was called. I, I feel like Lincoln Park's very mainstream. Though. It, it is very mainstream, but that's as far like, as I feel. I, but that was, I mean, I've always liked Lincoln Park. Um, that I kind of grew up with that, but I didn't think much of it. And I, I can even think of some songs. I, uh, yeah. And then, and then I just kind of again got on YouTube and just searched on okay best metal songs, and I just kind of went in from there. Um, but yeah, Linkin Park and kind of Metallica were some of the bands that kind of got me into the stuff early on. Right, I'm gonna fire through some of these. Kurt Morse has asked, "What's his standard Chipotle order?" um i don't eat it too much anymore i used to a lot in school i don't feel Uh, like yeah we're back we don't have it over in the uk do we i don't think so no we're more five guys mcdonald's really (laughs) i'm really enjoying five guys at the moment five guys Um, five guys this is good philippe has said what's your favorite golf club in the bag right now um it's a good question uh, I've actually got some new stuff in my bag right now, so it's a little bit exciting trying um, some new clubs. Um, is this stuff you can say, talk about, though? Is this clubs that are released yet? You can tell us what they are or the under wraps. Uh, they are, uh, yes, they are released. Okay, and, so what, what uh, have you got in the bag right now, then, that you're trying? So I actually, um, obviously shouldn't, uh, obviously I'm a but I actually put in, uh, a Callaway 60 degree last week. Mm-hmm. 
and I just found it. I, I think it was just mostly the grind that was different. Uh, but I just noticed I've had a really hard time uh, in the bunkers uh, these last few weeks because some of these courses, especially on the West Coast, like the, the, the greens have been really firm. And I've just noticed I've put, I've put myself in short-sided positions, and I haven't – like I can't put any spin on the ball um, compared to what some of the other guys are doing. I'm just looking at it. Well, I mean – my hands aren't that bad. Like my technique isn't that bad, and even my coach Smith has been looking at it. It's like, yeah, it looks looks fine. I don't know why the ball is coming coming out so low with with little spin. And then I tried this this Callaway wedge, and I guess it was just it prevented it from digging as much and kind of just popped the ball a little higher. So I got higher launch and more spin, which is huge for me when I've been short sighted mm. because I feel like I've getting I'm getting a lot better on the standard chip shots, but it's the short-sided ones uh, from the bunker or from the rough where uh, I could root from some more height and more spin. So I, I think, honestly, my 60-degree is kind of w- what I'm most excited about right now, just going out of there and, and chip all day. Yes. We, we won't tell Ping about this, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you ever want to yeah, buy... We got something in the works, so <laughs> might try to... Might put another six degree ping in the back soon. If you if you ever want even more loft, Rick bought a club off Facebook Marketplace. Was it a while ago? Yeah. It was a seventy degree wedge, and it was wow. so much fun. I'll send I'll send it to you. You can bring bring it out <laughs> on tour. Uh, Dan, Dan Tudor has asked, does he know Oli Gunnar Solskjaer personally? I do not. No. I do not. <laughs> that's Just like a fan. That's like people asking us, do we know the Queen yeah. personally? Do <laughs> you know James exactly. Bond? <laughs> Um, this is an interesting one, and I've seen a few of these. So James Little has said, um, does he have a standard? Oh, no, this is a different question. James Little has asked, "Does do you have a standard swing thought? Um, I, I, I wouldn't say I have a standard swing thought, but it's always, you know, if I'm trying to do something, there's a couple of things that I change. Um, and there's not there's really not much to do with swing mechanics. It's more setup. Like I try to do almost everything in my setup because my swing is so instinctual and reactionary at this point. Uh, So I try to control as few variables as possible. So for me, a tendency has been in the last few months to aim too far right. So for me, if I'm trying to, I've really had a hard time hitting my cut. Uh, I've kind of gravitated towards being more of a drawer of the ball right now, which I, I like in some circumstances, but I, I still see the golf course with a little bit of a cut. So for me, just last week, I was just really getting into aiming more square and even more left with the iron shots to get that cut swing in there. Um, and ball position for me usually stays the same. Sometimes if I try to hit a low and maybe more draw it, I put, put the ball more back in the stands uh, but usually, like, I kind of keep it more up to the left foot, and, and I just try to be really cognizant of of where I'm aiming with my shoulders and my feet. And then it's more just, okay, if I'm, if I'm feeling a little cut shot, then I just kind of hold on to the face a little bit more through impact, and I try to swing more down my uh, kind of where my, my foot line is. And if I'm hitting a draw, it's more, okay, stand close, and then just kind of hit hit uh, down my foot line as well. So um, I, I try to keep it as simple as possible. 
I think you need to, don't you, at the highest level? Um, right, I'm going to wrap it up on this last question. And I, this is a really good one. And my mum will be asked, will be glad I've asked this question. Your mum will? But okay. It, but it's not from my mum. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is going then. Andy Adams has asked, can you teach some of the other pros how to play with a smile on their faces? Because it's great seeing you smile so much when you're playing. <laughs> and this was something my mum always had a, such a... I, she loved Tiger. She's like, I wish he bloody smiled when he played yeah. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> but I must admit, watching you, you do actually look like you're genuinely having a good time out on the golf course. Yes. Yeah, I, no, I, I would say I do smile a lot, um, especially when I'm talking to some of the guys. Uh, we have some good banter going, but... Uh, I think I just like, as some people have a, a resting bitch face, I, I think I just have like, a little resting smiley face. <laughs> in a sense, um, I, I, I think I do get credit for smile, but sometimes I'm not, and I'm actually <laughs> off. So I think that kind of that runs in my favor a little bit. Um, well, that's a lot. Uh, <laughs> that's class. Yeah. So. so if anybody's watching Victor play and he's smiling, he's not always happy. Yeah. <laughs> Basically is what, we, what we're getting at. Well, Victor, <laughs> honestly, you have been an incredible guest. Yes. Um, you are the by far the highest world rank to play we've had on the, on the channel. And I can't wait to see after the lucky charm rub that you had last time from ninth to third, now fourth. I mean, it's only up from here. Well, if you're not world number one by the end of the year, we've, we've not done our good luck charm justice basically. well that's it we will be at the open this year i'm looking forward to it so we'll hopefully well we'll see you there you'll be playing you'll hopefully be winning it and i know you've put a lot of practice in obviously day to day but just so you know you've got my support as well so everyone that's been on the podcast we've got tommy we've got bryson we've got victor we've got minwoo lee they're all my favorites so you've got the practice you're going to play well but just know you've got our support as well and that will be the final push to get you on that claret jug <laughs> With that, the that uh, with, on the yeah, and and I think if you, if we get chance and our uh, schedules collide, we'd love to shoot a video, mm. a proper main channel video, cool. where where I, I played against Tommy and he gave me a ten shot head start over eighteen holes over a championship golf course that was about seven thousand five hundred yards. Everyone knows the result pretty much. Uh, it was a it was a level match in the end. And I started, ten, really? I started 10 under par. <laughs> I know, I'm not that good. But he played that's, well. That's still pretty good. He played okay for him. It was tough conditions. I played okay for me. So I reckon that was about the right benchmark. So I want to see if there's a, a, a tour pro out there who can beat me with a 10-shot head start. And I think you're the man. Okay. I think you're the man. That's so let's try and film that if we concept. can. <laughs> Victor, good luck for the rest of the year. Thank you very much for your time. Keep picking up those trophies. Keep picking up those checks. Keep smiling and uh, good luck for the rest of the Yeah, uh, thanks the so much, today. mate. Thank you, guys. Appreciate thanks, it. Secret to summer ready skin is here. Osea's number one best selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.